My name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, I'm the pastor here, and I'm glad that you have chosen to join with us in worship. I'm glad that you're here this morning uh, on this Memorial Day weekend, yet another Sunday morning with something brewing out off the Atlantic. So that was fun. I had someone between services who came up to me because last week we were supposed to have baptism. Cynthia mentioned that, and we had to cancel it because there was a tropical storm brewing and the undertow and all that kind of stuff. And here we are today, and fortunately we didn't plan baptism for today, um, but I had someone come up to me in between services and they said, guess what June 10th looks like? Tropical storm. And for a moment, just for a moment, I believed him. But anyway, and he moved on. Um, weathermen aren't that good to predict three weeks in advance. So uh, anyway, we're praying for good weather for that. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua. We're going to be in chapter four this morning, Joshua chapter four. And uh, we're going to kind of camp out there in Joshua chapter four and uh, take a look at the nation of Israel and kind of bring to really some completion, some of the things that we've talked about here over the past six months at Hilton Head Island Community Church. You know, it's interesting. Um, I love Memorial Day weekend. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, it's the, it's the start of summer. You know, all the pools open, you know, this weekend. I mean, you can go to the pool, you can go to the beach. Um, be careful if you go to the beach today. Um, but, you know, Memorial Day is not just about watermelons and parades and cookouts, and it's not just about Lowe's and Home Depot and projects at the house and 30% off at the outlets. Uh, Memorial Day weekend is truly, and Memorial Day is truly about remembering those who have sacrificed for our freedom here in this country. For those men and women who have served during wartime, during peacetime, in our military, in our armed forces, who have gone on and died for our freedom. Memorial Day was begun as an informal holiday here in America uh, shortly after the Civil War. And it was begun specifically to remember those Union soldiers who died in military victory. Sorry if you're a Southerner, they didn't really remember the other side. But anyway, they're remembering Union, uh, Union soldiers who died really for the freedom of, of the slaves and states' rights and all, all that was kind of involved there in the Civil War. And school children and school teachers and, and um, uh, moms would, would come together and they would decorate the gravestones of those war heroes from the Union and the Civil War. And it was originally, Memorial Day was originally called Decoration Day. And so at the turn of the uh, 20th century, it was expanded not to just remember the, uh, those who died during the Civil War, but all of those fallen, all those men and women who have fallen in the United States Armed Forces in all of the wars and conflicts and even those who died in peacetime. And so we remember those who have died, those who died to protect our freedom. All across the land, we have reminders and memorials. And some of you have lived in places where there are statues. I know Cynthia and I lived in New York City for a while, and there were statues to commemorate certain people who uh, were unique heroes, uh, people who uh, went the extra mile in serving their country. And, of course, there's Gettysburg. We have a picture of of Gettysburg here and and, uh, all the uh, Gettysburg National Cemetery and all those different gravestones that today have flags in front of them remembering those who have gone before. And each one of those gravestones, each one of those pieces of granite tells a story and memorializes a different war hero. And that's the purpose of Memorial Day. That's the purpose of going to a gravesite to remember those heroes who have gone before. It's interesting. We have, over the course of these last six months, 
really kind of unintentionally taken a, a journey through the history of the nation of Israel. And we've kind of walked through the different patriarchs. We talked about Abraham, and we talked about Isaac, and we talked about Jacob, and then Joseph. And most recently, we had a four-week series on Moses in our series called Highly Unlikely. And in that series, we kind of talked about the first few months of Moses leading the nation of Israel, three million people, out into the desert. And we kind of ended it, and Moses was out there with these complaining people out in the middle of the desert, and we just kind of ended. And that was kind of the purpose, but we really didn't tell the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says. And the rest of the story is this. There was an opportunity for Moses to finish the task of leading the nation of Israel into the promised land, but he had a moment of disobedience, direct disobedience with God, and in doing so, he disqualified himself from being the one that would lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And so his protege, uh, the one who kind of followed him, his predecessor, Joseph, is now leading the nation of Israel. And after 40 years, 40 years, they finally arrive at the banks of the Jordan River, this great river. And they can see across the Jordan River. I bet they could even maybe smell the honey and the dew that the Bible talks about. They could see with their eyes, there it is. It's across there. And there's some great verses at the beginning of Joshua that talk about having faith. We'll get across. There'll be a way to cross this Jordan River. Well, God did what he did at the beginning of the 40-year journey there in the uh, middle of, of what is going to be the promised land, and he literally parted yet another body of water. And so this river now, this raging river, and it was during the harvest time, so it was at its flood stage, when they entered the river with the Ark of the Covenant, that river completely stopped. And the nation of Israel was then able to walk across dry land yet a second time, and they were finally home, they were finally in Canaan, they were finally in the promised land, that place where their ancestors came from and where God promised that he would bring them to. So let's take a look at Joshua 4. We're going to walk through this whole chapter, and in a minute, you'll find out how this connects with Memorial Day, I promise. Okay, let's take a look at Joshua 4. We'll start with verse 1. When the whole nation of Israel had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them, those stones, over with you, and to put them down at a place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men that he had appointed from the nation of Israel, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each one of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. I get the impression these weren't pebbles, okay? Take it up on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you, verse 6 says, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over to their camp where they put them down. Joshua, verse 9, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at a spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they still stand to this day. 
Now the priest who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over. Now, I know that's a short little phrase there, but that's my favorite part because it's like, okay, I heard the story about God parting the Red Sea, and I know that he can do this, but you know what? I'm not walking over, I'm running over. I mean, you know, here are these three million people going, yeah, I've heard about this and I trust God, but let me just run just in case. And I have this picture of the whole nation just kind of running across. They hurried over. Verse 11, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. Do you get the picture here? The whole nation of Israel is on the other side. They're in the promised land. They're in Canaan, and they're watching as here comes the rest of the nation. And then the priest and the ark, and they're crossing on dry land. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed for battle. These were the tribes that were warriors. And they were in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle. They don't know, they don't know what they were going to encounter on the other side. They crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest carrying the ark of the testimony to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, come out of the Jordan. And the priest came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan River returned to their place and ran at flood stage, flood stage as before. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan. Now here's where I really want you to focus and see what happens here. They came up from the Jordan and they camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal those 12 stones that they had taken out of Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future... When your descendants ask their, fam, their fathers, what do these stones mean? Look at verse 22. Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And verse 24, and this is my favorite one, it sums it up. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. Great passage. I love Joshua 4 because it's the culmination of 40 years. I mean, they were wandering out in the desert and they had left Egypt. And as you know, if you were here during our series on Moses on Highly Unlikely, they whined and they complained and they, they basically told God and uh, Moses and uh, Joshua, let's go back to Egypt because things were better there than they are now. This was not an easy 40 years. It was a very, very difficult and trying 40 years. And here they are, and they're at the promised land, and they're crossing over, and it's just such a great passage. And so the nation of Israel has yet another, all along the journey, God's telling them to set up different stones and memorial places so that they can remember what God had done and who he is. And here they are, and they set up on the other side of the Jordan River 12 stones representing each of the tribes of Israel. And they remember who God was and what he had done. There are many things that um, kind of trigger memories in life, aren't there? There are places you go that may trigger certain memories. 
You, you may go to a certain place and, and begin to tell a story about something that you remember from that. Um, my most vivid memory, one of my most vivid memories of growing up was when we were in the car with my mom and my dad and my little sister. And we would drive, we, uh, I grew up in, in the uh, Tampa Bay area, Clearwater, and we would drive into St. Petersburg where my dad had grown up, just very, you know, not very far away. And we would come around the corner and my dad would begin to see these sites that he had grown up and he would tell stories. The same ones every time we went to my grandparents' house to go visit him. The same stories. And one of those stories was, was this one. He would, uh, we'd come around the corner, and there was this school, and there was a bell tower, this big, tall, high bell tower at the school. And my dad's story was, every time, that we, he said, when I was a little kid, when I was in elementary school, I chased a little girl up into that bell tower. And much to our surprise, when we got up there, bats flew everywhere, and we ran back down. And he told that story about the girl and him chasing in the bats, and he told it again and again and again. And then we would round the corner and we would see my grandparents' house, my grandparents' Cullen, their house. And he would remember and he'd tell the story about how he was out playing ball with his friends and he did something that his mother was mad at. And she ran out and grabbed him, as she always did, by the ear and pulled him inside. And my dad says that's why he has big ears. And so she would pull him inside and, and he told that story about how his, you know, his friends gawked at him and they made fun of him because his mom grabbed him by the ear and pulled him inside. And my dad would tell these stories as we would go and visit their house there in Gulfport in St. Pete, Florida. And my, my memory of their house, it was a little house. In fact, they moved there when my dad was three, and they died in that house, my grandparents, both of them. And so um, we would pull up, and I would see my grandfather sitting out on the porch. It was one of these old, like, you know, 1940s-style homes, and uh, had a little uh, pull-in, like, uh, a garage, kind of a car garage there, uh, or an uh, open-air garage. And, and we would pull in, and my grandfather would be sitting there in a rocking chair. And he was a big man, big burly guy. I took after him. And uh, a big burly guy, and he had a cigar in his hand, always. Every time he was sitting under that uh, uh, little covered parking garage there, open, open air parking garage, and he had a cigar. And he always had a shell that he got from the beach as his ashtray. <laughs> and he sat there and he would be smoking. And that was my picture of my grandfather Cullen. And it was funny because the other picture I have of him is there was a shell and a cigar in every room in his house. He never threw cigars away. He just relit them depending on which room he was in. And that was my grandfather Cullen. Those are some of the memories. And I'm sure you have memories. You have memories of maybe growing up or maybe going to visit some relatives. And these memories, these things in our lives trigger certain stories. They may trigger some fond stories. They may trigger some not-so-fond stories. But places can be memorial places, can't they? They can be times when we remember good things of God. Some of you have certain places that you go, and you remember how you grew with God during those places. I know when I go back to Liberty University where Cynthia and I went to college, that was a time of unusual spiritual growth in my life. And I remember with great fondness what God was doing in my life up at Liberty. And some of you may have those places that you go. For some of you, it's an object. Maybe it's an old Bible or maybe a book that maybe your grandparents or your parents gave to you that triggers memories of you growing spiritually. Cynthia and I, when we uh, moved to Atlanta, we kind of started out in Miami 17 years ago, by the way, in two weeks. And we started out in Miami, and we moved to Atlanta, and we got involved with a church called North Star Church there. And North Star Church began to grow, and they um, began to run out of parking space and run out of room. Sound familiar? And uh, so they began to grow, and um, so they had to build a new parking lot. Well, parking lots aren't cheap, so they had to raise money for it. 
And the leadership of the church went down to a creek that separated their building from where the parking lot was going to be built. And we were going to build a parking lot over there and this really nice covered bridge walkway from the parking lot to the building. And so we went down to this creek called Blue Springs Creek. And we all did what Joshua did in Joshua 4. And we all picked up the leadership of the church, a stone. And this is the exact stone that I picked up there in Blue Springs Creek. And the whole purpose of doing that was that the pastors and the leadership, I wasn't a pastor at the time, but the pastors and leadership would put this somewhere prominent in our homes or in our offices, and it would be a reminder to pray for North Star and to pray for God working in that church. Well, I've had this stone in my office in Atlanta and New York and now Hilton Head Island, and every time I see it in my office, it reminds me of God's goodness to his church. And some some of you have objects that remind you of God's goodness. My grandmother on the other side of our family, my mom's side of the family, her name was Kay Boyd, and Kay um, passed away. My grandmother passed away in 2007. And uh, in the years before she passed away, she started cleaning out some of her stuff. And she came across a pamphlet, a track, of Billy Sunday's evangelical uh, uh, revivals. And it was printed in the 1920s. And she realized when she got a hold of this little track, this little pamphlet, that this was the track that her mom got when she went in the 1920s to this revival and where her mom received Jesus Christ as her Savior, where my great-grandmother received Jesus Christ as her Savior. And so in the years leading up to my grandmother's death, she passed that track along to me, and it's inside one of my Bibles, taped to the inside of my Bible. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the rich history of our family the rich history of God being involved in our family. And that's where it started. It started with my great-grandmother. She accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And because of her faith, there are literally dozens of people in my family that have accepted Jesus Christ in part because she became a Christian. And so God uses memorials to help us to be reminded of who he is and what he has done. It's interesting. I think there are really kind of three things that we can find out about memorial places here in this passage that we just read. And I kind of want to point out a few of them this morning. First, memorials allow us to share our faith with our children. Memorials allow us to share our faith with our children. My mom and dad shared their faith with me and Cynthia's parents shared their faith with her. And because of that, in part, we became Christ followers. And and there's a little place in our house that brings back a very recent memory. It was two summers ago that our daughter, Sydney, accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she did it right in front of this brown kind of mocha-colored couch that we got when we were in New York. And um, the kids sit there. It's kind of like fake leather. And so that's where they get to eat sometimes. And so it's, you know, five-year-old nasty. Anyway, and so, you know, that's that brown couch there. But it's not nasty to me. You know why? Because that's the marker where my daughter accepted Christ as her Savior. It's a memorial place. We're going to have a terrible time selling that couch one day. It's a place that we remember our daughter coming to Christ. Joshua 4.21 says, He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? You're supposed to tell them about God and his faithfulness. And so markers or memorials allow us to share our faith with our children. But they're also to be used to allow us to remind us in our own lives of God's faithfulness. 
Joshua 4, 22 and 23 says this, tell them, your children, that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you. Do you notice that? It wasn't, it wasn't the nation of Israel that tried to find a place to cross over. God did it. And so it's a reminder of God's faithfulness in the nation of Israel. It's a reminder of what God did. And he goes on and he says, The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. I think so many times in our lives, we focus on what's going wrong in our lives. We easily fall into self-pity, and then that may lead to being discouraged, and that may lead to depression. And we find ourselves maybe feeling sorry for ourselves, and maybe we have reason to. Maybe we've been victimized in some way. But we, I think, find ourselves focusing on what's dark, what's evil, what's going wrong in our lives. And in my life, when I've had times like that, the thing that got me back to God was beginning to focus on his goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. God's faithfulness can bring back great memories if we will just think about what he has done. And even if you're in the darkest place of your life, I bet if you just stop and pray and think and dwell on what God's done, you can find things that he's done. You can find times when he's worked in your life. You can find times when he's uh, done things to help you get through your current experience. He is faithful. Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, said this in his journal. He wrote this in his journal. Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. I love that. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million people, three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, Hudson Taylor says. We do not expect that he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And that is so true, but sometimes we forget about it, don't we? Sometimes we fail to remember what God has done in our lives, just like we fail to remember the sacrifice of those who have gone before us those who have gone before us. You know, we're weeks away from moving into a new building. I can't give you a date because I don't have a date. <laughs> it's going to be sometime this summer. That's what I keep saying. It's going to be sometime this summer. At some point in time this summer, we're going to be moving over there to mile marker nine. And, you know, I, I hope I can give you a little bit of a closer uh, idea as we get into the summer. But as much as I'm ready to get over to mile marker nine, and as much as these walls and this very low ceiling, not for me, but for some of you, this very low ceiling starts to cave in on us, and as hot as it is in here, and they can't get the air conditioner right, and as many roly-polies and other bugs as we find in our office, and as many times as it rains and floods all over this place, and as much as I want to move from here to mile marker nine, I'll always look at this building and this spot and remember how God was faithful to his church. We've said from day one of this journey that we've been on, last summer becoming our own church, last year raising now what will eventually be nearly $400,000 to move over to mile marker nine. We've always said that we can trust God because he has been faithful in the past. We can trust him for the future. We've said that time and time again, and there won't be a day that I drive by here that I won't remember God's faithfulness to his church. And this building may be gone one day, 
I don't know, it might be a gas station or hotel or something like that here one day, but I'll always remember this area as God being faithful to his people. Memorials allow us to remember God's faithfulness. And they also allow us to display the glory of God to the world. I love verse 24. I love how this ends and how Joshua summarizes the 12 stones in the last part of this chapter, in the last verse of this chapter. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You see, not only can stones, and I would imagine that the stones that the nation of Israel carried from the Jordan were a little bit bigger than this, but a memorial, whether it's a, whether it's a book or an object or a place, those things can be a way to share our faith with our children. They can be a way to remember God's faithfulness, but they also can be a way to tell the world about God's faithfulness. They can be evangelical tools that we can use to tell others about what God is doing in his people. Cynthia and I, when we moved to New York in 2005, we uh, helped our friends Carmen and Aaron Coe start a church called the Gallery Church. And we named it the Gallery Church largely because Aaron, the pastor, had this idea that there were all of these art galleries down in the Chelsea and the Arts District of New York City. And they literally were wide open spaces that were sitting empty on Sunday morning. And so he had this concept, we can use these art galleries and, and display the greatness of God and to communicate the gospel message of Jesus. And so we called it the Gallery Church, not just because we were moving into the arts district of New York City, but because we wanted to display the greatness of God to New York City and beyond. And that's exactly what our motto was. That's exactly what kind of our mission was, is to display that to God. And it's the same mission that we have. We just say it differently. We say passionately share the message of Jesus Christ to Hilton Head Island. There are places and things, memorials, that we can use to help us in that endeavor. And so God uses memorials to help us be reminded of who he is and what he's done in our lives. So my question for you today is, what has God done in your life? How has he blessed you? Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was 20 years ago, but I'll bet you can think about how God has blessed you. Resist the temptation to wallow in self-pity and think about those times when God was richly pouring into you. In closing, I want to read a short story from Paul Harvey. I mentioned him earlier. He wrote a book called The Rest of the Story. I loved Paul Harvey. I used to listen to him on the radio. That just dated me, but I did. And um, he wrote a book called The Rest of the Story, which was his famous catchphrase on his little uh, radio uh, tidbits. Here's his story. It is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, he would return, walking slowly, slightly stooped over with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the flying fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane into the ocean. 
For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his, and his companions, for nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their rafts. The biggest shark, 10 feet long. Their largest raft, nine by five. But all of their enemies at sea, only one proved most formidable, starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by the salt water, and it would be a miracle. It would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon. And we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off into the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. Now this is still Captain Rickenbacker talking. Something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how. I just knew. Everyone else knew too. Not one word was said. But peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that gull. The gull meant food, if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used to bait, as bait to catch fish. The survivors were stained or sustained, and their hopes renewed because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, offered itself as a sacrifice. You know, Captain Eddie made it. And now you also know that he never forgets. Because every Friday evening at about sunset on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp to feed the gulls, to remember that one which a day long ago gave itself without a struggle like manna in the wilderness. What's God done in your life? Remember those good things that he's done. Remember those rich times of spiritual growth. If you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, man, you can remember today. You can accept Jesus today and be his child. And remember 21 Office Park Road on the Sunday before Memorial Day in 2012. On this Memorial Day, let's remember what God has done for us. Father, thank you so much for the remembrance of Memorial Day. God, I pray that we as a church, we as people, would remember the men and women who have gone before, who have given their life, for our freedom, and for our country. But God, on this Memorial Day, I pray that you would help us, each one of us, to remember what God has done, what you have done that is good. And Father, I pray that you would help us to search our minds, to think about our past, and be reminded about those good things that you've done. God, help us to get out of the pit of despair and despondency and even depression and focus on those great things that you've done for us. Oh God, you've done good things for us as a church. And Father, I pray for those who may be in here today and they don't know you as their savior. God, they haven't had that time where they came to you. I pray that today is their day of salvation. If you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, I just want to invite you to do that right now. 
God said in his word that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again for your sins, that you will be saved. It's that simple. And so just in the quietness of this place, if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that right now. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. And I'm going to say a prayer here. And just in the quietness of this place and in the quietness of your heart, you can pray this prayer. It goes something like this. God, thank you for making me and for loving me. And thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And on today, May the 27th, the day before Memorial Day in 2012, I confess of my sins and I ask you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Help me to turn from my old ways and to live for you. Now, there's nothing magical about those words. It's the intent of your heart. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer along with me in the quietness of this place, just raise your hand. I'll pray a silent prayer for you. I won't embarrass you. Anyone in here prayed that prayer this morning? One at all. Father, help us to remember with fondness and gratefulness the work that you've done in our lives. And God, we thank you so much for the saving sacrifice of Jesus. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.